Hello, and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast, brought to you by Biotechniques. This show brings you the latest from the frontiers and the life sciences, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques digital editor, Tristan Free, and in this podcast, supported by Zoma Research, I'll be exploring reproducibility in microbiomics. So the reproducibility crisis is something that we have looked at before on this podcast, but today we'll be getting a little bit more specific, looking at the impacts of the crisis in microbiomics, which is the collective study of all the microbes in a specific environment. And to help me do this today, I'll be speaking to Professor Raul Kano, CEO of the Bio Collective. Hi, Raul. Hello, good morning. So we will talk about the importance of microbiomics research and the different fields that this topic can affect. You know, it impacts well beyond just the gut. Exploring the growing impact in the understanding of neurological diseases and diagnostics before taking a look at the common mistakes that researchers make regarding reproducibility in these studies. Microbiome swabs and little quantities of of samples are not going to cut it. And we'll discuss the realities of creating 200,000 aliquots of fecal references. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have been in the laboratory while it's being prepared several times and I have never smelled anything. But first, a word from our sponsors. Zymo Research's unrivaled sample stabilisation technology, combined with the BioCollective's sample homogenization expertise, harmonised to create the Zymo Biomics Fecal Reference with True Matrix technology. This microbial reference material contains very high microbial density, and so is representative of a gut microbiome. With over 2 million preps available, this reference is intended to be used as a control for microbiome workflow performance as well as comparing workflow consistency across replicates, studies, and laboratories. To learn more about Zymobiomics Fecal Reference with True Matrix technology, visit www.zymoresearch.com. Raul, for some of our listeners that may have missed our previous episode on the reproducibility crisis, can you give a quick description of what the reproducibility crisis is? In essence, the reproducibility crisis and to extend it a little further, the replicability crisis is that using the same data set, many investigators are not able to reproduce the sample, uh, the data that is obtained from the study. That is, of course, a difficult issue. But even deeper than that is that uh, that many of the results uh, that some of the experimentations using the same kinds of scientific questions cannot be replicated. But yeah, it is an issue because uh, we we really would like to know how to to address conditions through the microbiome. And um, so this crisis, it it affects kind of all areas of life sciences, but how Mm. does the microbiome research field sort of stack up against these other fields of life sciences in terms of um, the reproducibility in those studies? Uh, The microbiome science is relatively a neophyte in the disciplines. I mean, I recall during the discovery of the PCR as a tool for diagnosis, uh, it was a wonderful tool. Everybody got excited and, you know, more people developed protocols and reference materials, standards, uh, quality control uh, were not a primary concern. And this is exactly the same thing that is happening with the microbiome. And, you know, we see now that scientists are beginning to really look at the fact that you need to to quality control your results before you can actually get to the the meat of the question that you're asking. So I don't think in terms of of microbiomics, 
Uh, it's not any more difficult than any other discipline. It's just that it is much more complex. So there are so many more variables associated with the analysis of data. And um, so you've mentioned there um, with PCR, there was that initial issue of people weren't really taking seriously um, the standards and the references to, to be used uniformly throughout all different studies. Um, yeah. it, turning to microbiomics, is there any specific aspects of microbiomics that present a specific challenge for, for reproducibility? Um, or is it those, those same issues again? Well, it is that the, the principal challenges, you know, the microbiomics is really uh, an amalgamation of techniques and statistical analysis, all of which are, you know, propense to, to biases from DNA extraction, sample collection, uh, sequencing technology, data analysis and interpretation of the data, uh, even the databases that are used. So this is a very complex uh, we are actually inferring the presence of uh, or absence of a group of microorganisms based upon indirect evidence. We are not seeing the microorganisms themselves, we are seeing the DNA. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, all of the steps that are taken in order to make a conclusion of presence, absence, and relative abundance, it's predicated on methodology and methodology that may or may not be properly measured or quality controlled or standardized. All of these as a conglomerate creates a, uh, you know, a challenge for reproducibility and replicability of the science. So, so it's that, that coming together of several different techniques all being conducted in slightly different ways across slightly different labs that's gonna to lead to this, this reproducibility issue um, right. in, in microbiomics. So, so we've had a look at, at what it is and how it happens, but why is it so important um, to be able to recreate microbiome research and compare it so specifically across these different studies? For a simple point of view would be that, you know, we have made some significant connections between the brain and the gut, and we call it the brain-gut axis. So we know we have been generating information that connects uh, health and disease to the gut microbiome or the skin microbiome, and it in you know it impacts well beyond just the gut. And uh, and as such, you know we've been looking at the use of the microbiome, its composition and its products as means of curing diseases or treating disorders, or even using for diagnostics and prognostic metrics. Uh, for disease. So uh, it is important that we, when you're looking at biomarkers, we actually are looking at real biomarkers, not at artifacts that are generated by the methodology. You've just mentioned there the impact of microbiomics in terms of, of diagnostics um, and, and sort of using them for, for biomarkers for different diseases. What, what kind of diseases would you um, try and use microbiomics to, to detect? Oh, okay, well, many. I mean, the, the, I mean, starting from neurological conditions, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, uh, dementia, autism, many of those have already been looked at in terms of the microbiome, but even closer, obesity, uh, diabetes, uh, gastrointestinal disorders, such as Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel disease, all of those have been connected one way or another with a microbiome. 
So Raul, you, you just mentioned those several different fields uh, that microbiomics are involved in sort of the early stages of the neurological disorders, obesity, Crohn's, um, inflammatory disorders. Is that getting towards a place where that could be standard practice in diagnosis or is that um, sort of early on in that research? I, I would say it's, you know, in a scale of one to 10 in maturity, I would say it's a six. Uh, I, I think, you know, over the last 10 years, there have been many biotechnology companies who are focusing on the development of mostly th therapeutics for the treatment of disease, but uh, some uh, as a means of diagnosis. I think in, in terms of uh, diagnosis is probably in diapers yet. Uh, you know, this is something that we would like to do, but it's not a standard practice. Uh, neither is therapeutics, but we are getting much closer. Uh, so I think uh, some of the issues we discussed before in reproducibility and replicability of data or studies is going, is, you know, it has been decelerating the, the process because, uh, you, know, you know, the investment required to, to, to put a drug uh, in the market is extremely high and, and therefore um, you know, one has to be sure that you know it can make it through the different phases of clinical trials, and 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 prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that in fact what you're saying or seeing is real. Mm. So, so, so I suppose the um, the fact that it's in that quite early stage and it's not yet in, as you say, still in diapers for um, for diagnostics. Um, I think is is. Is that largely a good thing? It means that we can correct the issue with this, um, with the reproducibility at this stage, as opposed to getting to a point where um, these are being used as standard practice in diagnostics and then finding out, oh, hang on, we've based these diagnostics on a lot of assumptions that we can't actually back up. Exactly. Um, okay, so looking then at the research, um, if you could boil it down to three key things that researchers are doing or, or not doing, um, which is leading to this poor reproducibility um, in these fields, what, what three things would you highlight? I would say, starting from the very beginning, sample collection. Sample collection is crucial. Not only the samples should be properly collected, but it should be representative of what you're studying. Uh, in terms, for example, uh, in terms of Fecal sample mi microbiome swabs and little quantities of, of samples are not going to cut it. You need to collect a representative sample. The other is the methodology uh, is, you know, there are, if you look at the literature, there are, you know, hundreds of different strategies for data analysis. Very few are identical in, in outcome. Uh, so data analysis is very important also very likely the use of quality control broadly. Uh, you know, if, if you look at the literature, there are very few journals, uh, sorry, very few scientific articles in which they describe the methodology and the sample collection and the use of reference materials to quality control your internal processes. So I think in terms of sample collection, <clears throat> quality control, and um, uh, and data analysis pipeline are the three key factors. So you just said there as well that that kind of that documentation, that precise um, recording of the methodology in each lab yeah. is, is an issue. Yeah. Is this something that you think is beginning to be 
um, addressed and improved by um, projects such as protocols.io, which has that kind of documentation of all the protocols that can be submitted in the, the supplementary data of, of articles? Uh, you know, in, in reality, no. I, I am uh, in the editorial board of two different journals, and I, I cannot count. In fact, I can count with one hand the number of articles that have come through my desk in which they describe the quality control and the sample processing to a detail that, for example, another investigator could reproduce. So the answer is no. And I think this is, uh, you know, it's not just the, the scientists. The scientists have to make a, 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 you know, a value judgment of what to put in because they have word limits in the articles. So, you know, you'd rather spend the time and the words in writing, you know, in describing the results and in conclusion than detailed methodology. But this, of course, impact uh, the reproducibility or, or the replicability of the data by other investigators. Okay, and, and how are you working um, to address this? How are you going to try and improve this reproducibility, but also perhaps even induce that kind of frame shift in terms of what researchers put value in when they're, when they're putting together those papers to encourage better reporting um, and documenting of, of methods and protocols? Well, you know, one aspect that we have certain amount of control, the other one we have very little, you know, as a, as a, uh, as an, a reviewer, as an editor, I will not accept a scientific paper that has not detailed the quality control procedures that are in the laboratory. Okay, so that is something that if it's adopted broadly, uh, it would improve significantly the quality of the product as it's put on print. Uh, the other part is that for the last six, seven years, I have been working in two different institutions, uh, and in particularly now specifically at the BioCollective in collaboration with Zyma Research to develop a reference material that can be used for quality control, method validation, uh, in, in essence, in, improve the precision of the scientific data that is being generated by the laboratory. So, so you just mentioned then the, um, the fecal reference that you've developed with Zymo. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how that development came around um, and, and how it's going to be really useful for researchers? Uh, so we collected uh, fecal samples from, uh, from 15 different donors and homogenized them using our protocols that we've developed over the last five years. And, uh, and then we resuspended this, this uh, homogenate in a slurry made of DNA RNA shield. This is a product that has uh, been well characterized by uh, by Zymo Research. And the reason we selected that particular product is because it adds another dimension of stability to the product so that we can actually claim that this uh, homogenate is stable and homogeneous. Uh, the homogeneity from our process, the stability from Zymo's DNA RNA shield. Uh, then we needed to prepare enough materials so that we have sufficient aliquots so that uh, we can, or the, the, the scientific community would have access to so the same material over extended period of time. So to that end, we prepared 2 million different uh, uses. So 200,000 aliquots, is, uh, is, they're packaged in, in 10 uses. So it's for a total of 2 million 
uh, different applications. At the end of our studies, we were quite satisfied that the product was indeed both homogeneous in microbiome composition and stable in terms of time and shelf life. Okay, fantastic. I've just got to ask as well, um, that actual process of, of creating, of going from those 15 stool samples through to those, those two million aliquots, um, how long does that take? And, and how unpleasant is that to do? <laughs> it, 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 it takes about two days from once the, the fecal samples are collected and stored in our minus 80 freezer. And then and we homogenize it in the presence of, uh, uh, we procurate a slurry in the presence of DNA and a shield. It takes about two days. Uh, as, as, as far as unpleasant is concerned, uh, it isn't too bad because everything is in the frozen state. So there is really, and we, we have safety cabinets in safety rooms so that there is very little, uh, you know, it is more of the ick factor is sort of eliminated because of that. And, you know, and after a while, you know, it, you know, you get used to it. But it's really, it, it's, you know, I have been in the laboratory while it's being prepared several times and I have never smelled anything. I mean, I, it's more of a psychological thing than an actual physical organolectic process. Yeah. I suppose when, um, yeah, when it becomes sort of the focus of your work and it's become such a scientific endeavor, oh, that kind of yeah. psychological aspect slightly gets switched off. Yeah. Um, and how long will those, um, will those 2 million samples, how, how, or sorry, the 2 million uses, um, how long do you think that would last in terms of um, microbiomics research? Do you have an idea that that will sort of cover microbiomics research for the next two years say or is it going to be less or not much longer well we're hoping that it would be only for the first week but that's not going to happen uh so we're hoping that it would be um, between two and five years depending upon how good a job we do promoting the product and actually showing that it in fact it is worth the trouble when you first started looking at creating this this reference for for microbiomics research um what what was the initial reaction to it? Um, what was the response in the sort of the life science community? I don't think that the community had been thinking in terms of a commercial product in terms of uh, high diversity uh, representative fecal sample uh, as a reference material. Uh, I know that investigators have been using their own, but uh, for for comparability purposes, this does, that doesn't really cut it. Uh, when I started working at the BioCollective, it, it became apparent to me that there were experts at homogenizing stools. So with my previous experience for mock communities and reference material, it was just a, the next step to develop a reference material that is derived from whole stools using our technology. I approached the National Institutes of Health, expecting a, warm, a lukewarm response uh, but instead, I was encouraged to submit a, an SBIR, Small Business Innovative Research proposal, and I further was encouraged to submit it as a fast track so there will be no delay between phase one and phase two funding. And uh, subsequently, we were funded, uh, a significant funding in our estimation, and uh, we have used those funds and our technology to develop the product 
the microbiome reference product that Zymo and the BioCollective are now producing. There's a, a really quite urgent need for it then, um, yeah. and, and the NIH recognizes that. Yes. So you've, you've partnered with, with Zymo to do that. Why is that in collaboration with Zymo? What, what do they bring to that, um, that project? Well, they, they bring to the project uh, know-how and experience and, uh, you know, and a team of scientists and administrators that have been there, have done that, and, you know, and they have a very successful line of products and a very successful reference material in terms of a mock community. So we've, and, and you know, from a less uh, objective point of view, we'd really like to work with them, so. Um, and, and in that description, um, the, the product that you've created is a, is a reference um, as opposed to a standard. Uh, so what's the difference between those two terms? Well, you know, reference material is a product that it has two characteristics. It is homogeneous and it is stable. So regardless of whether you use it today or you use it next week or next year, you should get the same results. What it doesn't have is it is not ground truth because we do not know the exact composition of a fecal sample. Standard is the, the reference material that has been thoroughly characterized and thoroughly described and is documented. And so when would you choose to use a standard um, as opposed to a reference? Well, I would use a standard to assess the precision of my methodology. The standards are used to assess the accuracy of the methodology. And I would use a standard, preferably if for interlaboratory studies, so that everyone has a sample of homogeneous, stable, and of known composition that we can all use to not only quality control our own processes, but also to add or a sense of reliability between two laboratories is data. So, so in, in essence, you know, if you want, you want to measure your precision, you use a, a reference material. You want to measure the accuracy, you use a standard reference material. So the, the, the third um, thing that you selected um, as the key things that researchers could be doing to improve um, reproducibility is the standardization of the, um, the data and um, to make it more comparable uh, and simpler for researchers to compare between different um, different studies. So uh, are you doing anything to make um, the generation um, and the sharing of that comparable data um, any simpler for researchers? Well, in collaboration with Zymo, uh, not only are we producing a stable and homogeneous and presumably of known composition, uh, available for the researcher, but also available, making available to the investigator uh, a platform from which they can quality control or validate the data and compare it to, to the results of others. Uh, so, um, we're, so we're trying to give you the whole package for quality control. And, and that's the first step in quality data. Earlier on, you mentioned that um... In terms of the field of, of microbiomics, we were a, a six out of 10 in terms of the, the basic research for it um, and, and how far we were through compared to other, other sort of um, more established fields. So that obviously means that quite a lot of, of research has been conducted in this area, um, which up until now, um, from the sounds of it, is, is unlikely to all be thoroughly reproducible. 
So what kind of impact on past research um, does this increasing reproducibility and this increasing focus on reproducibility have? Um, does this now mean that we need to go back and repeat most of this or? Um... Oh, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it is unlikely that the data, that the, the studies are gonna be recreated, you know, specifically because there is no sample to recreate. The sample is very likely used. If you say using swabs or, you know, wipes, it's just a one-time one deal. So that's not gonna happen, but what it will, will, will serve the purpose very well is to validate the validity of your results uh, once you did them using uh, the same methodology and the reference material. And therefore you can ascertain the fact that the data that you generated X months ago is valid because your methodology is reproducible. And that's the value of a reference material. Essentially, if, if you have a product that is homogeneous and stable and you use the same methodology, you should always get the same results. And if you don't, then it gives you an opportunity to go back and, and, you know, and fix any errors that have taken place or evaluate any changes in methodology. And this, you can expand this beyond your laboratory to other laboratories as well. If, if I could give you one thing to deliver true reproducibility um, across the microbiomics studies that are, are going to come in the future, what would you ask for? Again, I, I, the two things that I would ask for is proper collection of a representative sample, whether it's a stool or a skin, not just a little bit because of the convenience of the donor. And, and the most important, I think, to have some sort of measuring stick, some sort of reagent that allow you to quality control your work and make this known in the scientific publication so that everyone then has the opportunity to make a value judgment on the quality and results and interpretation. I mean, interpretation may be uh, different, but you know, it is what it is in terms of the microbiome. It's just whether do you see it or not. So the two things, again, I will repeat, proper sample collection and proper quality control. Raul, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. It's been great to have you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. If you have enjoyed today's discussion and want to learn more about the collaboration between Zymo Research and the BioCollective to create Zymobiomics Fecal Reference with True Matrix Technology, visit www.zymoresearch.com. You can find Talking Techniques on Acast, Spotify and Apple Podcasts or look for the podcast section on our website at www.biotechniques.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and goodbye.